With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And welcome to a new podcast, The Paddock and the Pavilion with Stephen Wallace. In each show, Stephen will interview someone connected to the world of horse racing or cricket. Hello and welcome back to The Paddock and the Pavilion after our two-week break as we lead into Christmas. I hope you all have been keeping safe and well in these difficult and challenging times. Don't forget, I would love to hear from more of our listeners from home and abroad. So please let us know what you think of the show by giving us a rating and a review on all the usual outlets. This week's guest is Dale Benkenstein, the South African leader who played and coached South Africa at international level and went on to become a legend at Durham, where he won the county championship on three occasions. I hope you enjoy today's show. Hello, Dale. Welcome to the Paddock and the Pavilion. Morning, Steve. Well, thank you very much for being on the show. And I must also thank a mutual friend of ours, Ivan Pistorius, for setting up this episode. Ivan played for my own club, March Town, back in 1994, and I understand you've known him for a long time. Yeah, Ivan was um, at the same school as me. Uh, he was a bit older than me, my brother's um, age, so I've known Ivan uh, pretty much all my life, and I'm actually coaching his son at the moment, so the relationship is still pretty strong. Yeah, this is his son, Christopher. That's right, yes. Yeah. Well, this morning we're going to talk about uh, your long cricket career, uh, the trophies you've won, uh, your international career, your time at Durham and your recent role as a South African cricket coach. But first, what it what has it been like in South Africa during a pandemic and how has it affected your role as a cricket coach? Yeah, it has been, uh, I'm sure, for everyone, a, a pretty strange year. Um Cricket obviously stopped completely or everything stopped completely over a very, we had quite a tough lockdown uh, for about a month um, to six weeks. And then things eased off, uh, but with the uncertainties and the social distancing and everything that is that it, uh, has now become part of life, uh, sport has taken a, a bit of a knock. So we 
uh, I, I coach at a school predominantly. I have my own academy that I run. And um, we've sort of stopped and started. We, we were allowed to train we're almost up to uh, normal uh, training, uh, you know, schedules. Uh, but we haven't been able to play cricket, uh, getting other schools onto our campus and uh, obviously traveling. Uh, parents watching and that is seen as just asking for trouble with the pandemic. So uh, all in all, it's been pretty frustrating because to just practice and practice and not have any matches is, is goes against pretty much what sport's all about. So at least we've been able to keep ticking over, but uh, not having the matches has uh, has been yeah you know, quite hard to to feel like you're in a in a season you know it just hasn't felt the same. Right. So any any sign of matches yet then or? So we have end of end of year now not not uh, like England where everything finishes in September we go our sort of end of years now um, beginning of December. Uh, so schools are all on holiday and then everyone's hoping that start the new year, which will be mini- middle of Jan, we'll have um, normal fixtures. There may not be uh, parents, uh, parents may not be able to watch, uh, but everyone's hoping. And the feeling is that we're going to have uh, normal fixtures starting in the new year. But I, I'm worried that you guys have experienced that the pandemic uh, doesn't want to go away so we are still sort of subject to whatever happens in our country well the best of luck with that we're, we're still currently on a on a lockdown here waiting to hear some news today actually yes. but let's go back to your background in cricket um now reading up your your dad played first class cricket and both your twin older brothers played uh, played first class cricket you must have played a lot of competitive games in the garden <laughs> Yeah, I think that's where it all uh, starts. Uh, we didn't have a lot of private coaching, and that that happens seems to be the norm these days. Uh, there was a lot of tennis ball, tape ball, cricket in the uh, in the driveway, driveway in the gardens, um, wherever we lived uh, on holidays. So I was lucky to. I was the youngest, so I think I got. Uh, the raw deal a lot of the time and, and it was pretty tough for me and I think that in a way helped me you know progress maybe a bit further than you know than my brothers and that. Yeah it's a pretty unique family when four four members have all played first class cricket so when did you know you wanted to be a to be a cricketer? Uh, that's quite funny I, I loved rugby uh, being uh, I mean I was born in Zimbabwe but lived most of my life in South Africa rugby was uh, I, I mean, I, I enjoyed both sports, but I really loved rugby. I've uh, had a wanted to, to play for for the Springboks. Um, also, I love my cricket. But I would say, um, as soon as we got to the final years of my school career, I realised that uh, I, well, I started to get more opportunities in cricket, and we went we were allowed back in international sport. 1992, so there was the World Cup uh, in Australia, uh, the famous Randolph, the 22 uh-huh. runs of one ball against England. Oh, we won't uh, mention that. <laughs> <laughs> but we were all watching um, at school, and I think so the, you know, the lure towards cricket started to become uh, slightly greater than rugby, and 
then we went on a, I got picked for an under-19 tour to the West Indies uh, in that same year. And I think there we traveled with the national team. Kepler Vessels was the coach. They played the historic first test against the West Indies and Barbados. And I, I would say that's when, I was only 17 at the time, and I then realized, yeah, this is really what I want to do. And, and the opportunities were, were sort of in front of me then. So, uh, yeah, that would have been the, the watershed sort of moment. Well, that ties in with my next sort of the bit of information here. In, uh, at age 18, you made your debut for Natal in a one-day semi-final against Eastern Province, a very strong Natal side, including Andrew Hudson, Pat Simcox, a young uh, Sean Pollock, and two legends in Clive Rice and Malcolm Marshall. What was mm. That must have been a very big game to start your sort of top-level career. Yeah, it was. Um, the opposition was pretty strong too. <laughs> so, yeah, I noticed that Kepler, Kepler Vessels got 100. <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, and El Dean Baptiste got you out. That's right. Uh, and there was um, Dave Richardson, Callahan. I mean, they had a powerhouse side. So it was a bit of a baptism of fire. I think I was running on on adrenaline and uh, and nerves all mixed into one. Um, so I didn't didn't uh, do very well in that match. But it was the start of uh, you know pretty. Um, enjoyable and successful career with with the Dolphins with Natal. And Malcolm Marshall became your captain. We all know shortly afterwards, we all know in this country uh, what a fantastic bowler he was for Hampshire. What was he like as a captain? Well, I was incredibly fortunate, as you mentioned. It was, you know, I had Malcolm Marshall, I had uh, Clive Rice, two of probably the greatest all-rounders, more cricket figures, and one, one uh, from a South African point of view, and the other one just worldwide. Um, we and to have them, I was a captain. I'd been captain of most teams, and to have them uh, to uh, you know be close to you and listen to you and guide you at that age, um, I think it it uh, really was the reason why I was able to stay a captain at first class sort of level for for a long time. I think I learned very early from probably the greatest cricket minds in the game at the time. You, you actually succeeded Malcolm as captain of the Tal at the age of 22. And you did the double, winning the, the one-day competition and the four-day competition on two occasions when you were captain. Yeah, that was a nice start. Um, and pretty, I would say, uh, lucky in, in, from my point of view as as having just taken over the captaincy because I think that was the, you know, the rewards and, and, and a product of all the work that Malcolm, Graham Ford, uh, Clive Rice, Peter Rawson, there was a lot of, you know, real stalwarts of the game that had brought us youngsters through over the last two or three years and had set up, shown us how to be professionals and had set up a... Um, production line of, of players to the, to make sure that we had a strong squad. So they sort of, they had, uh, Malcolm retired, Clive Rice retired, and I then took over the captaincy with still a very strong um, squad and ended up, we ended up just man- making or managing to get over the line and, and win two trophies. But as I said, I was lucky in that sense that we had 
all the hard work had almost been done done before that. So um, a great way to start, but I can't take. It definitely wasn't because of my captaincy. <laughs> <laughs> but you soon got sort of international recognition, uh, playing for South Africa under 24s, and you also captained the South Africa A side in 1997 and then in 1998 you made your one-day international debut against uh, England yeah I won't mention yeah. the result uh, <laughs> yeah we obviously won um we, Wait, we uh, England got a good score England got 281 this was in the first champions trophy in Bangladesh yeah it was a uh, obviously my first um, tour my first matches for South Africa and my first Champions Trophy. People always say that South Africa has never won a big tournament. Well, we won that one, so there's one that we did win. Um, and it was an interesting tournament because it was a purely knockout tournament. So if you lost one game, you got on the plane and went home. I don't think they've had another one like that since. Um, so we managed to win. I think we only played four games, and and one of them was the final. So uh, we did we played West Indies, I think, in the final. And yeah, that was a massive moment for me to to make a debut. I think for any anyone, it's a it's a you know it's it's something that you as a cricketer you always dream of and you work towards, and everything is towards playing for your country. And and I think that you know you can never never take that away. And the fact that we ended up going on and winning that tournament was even better. I thought, geez, this international cricket's quite easy. Yeah, you beat the West Indies in the final by four wickets. Yeah. And you got you got 27. And shortly after that, you, and I had to look this up, because <laughs> there was like a gap in your uh, appearances, but you were selected for the World Cup in 1999 in England. Yes. And... They obviously didn't have any sort of rotation policy in 1999 because, I mean, I went to a lot of those games in that particular World Cup myself. I saw you, I saw South Africa play at Northampton when they played Sri Lanka, but you were one of the 15 members of the squad, but you didn't play in the tournament. That must have been very frustrating. Yeah, I mean, you look back now and at the time you're very happy to be there, but you want to contribute and... Um, uh, it was disappointing. Uh, I understand at the time, uh, I think everyone, uh, they were using white Duke's balls and everyone's top order was really battling. And the sort of sort of the lower order in most teams, the all-rounders were what was getting or definitely getting us through. Klusner was having, a, you know, the, the sort of torment of his life. Um, and so the feeling being a top order or being a batter, more of a batting all-rounder, um, the feeling was against the lower or the weaker teams, your Kenyas, and that they wanted to give the top order confidence to go into the next game. It wasn't a case of resting them. So those opportunities didn't didn't come around. It was very frustrating. Um, there was one game. It was the game where Herschel dropped that ball where it was debatable whether he caught it or not against Australia, where if we had won that, we would have played, I think, Zim in the semi-finals and not Australia again. Um, that game, Jacques Callis got injured. And I would have thought that would have been an opportunity for me. Uh, <clears throat> we were playing at Headingley as well, which is Seamers wicket. And I bowled pretty ordinary Seamers, but I did bowl a bit of medium pace with uh-huh. a little bit of guile. 
um, and obviously could bat. So uh, missing that game, I think I realised after that I wasn't going to ever play in the World Cup. Um, and I think they went with Nicky Boyer, which was a left-arm spinner. Yeah, so whatever. I mean, there was those were the decisions at the time. And I think throughout my whole career, there there wasn't a lot of faith given to me where I had a long run. You know, I would always play the back end of a tournament or if someone got injured, you, you sort of got a chance on two or three knocks. So that, that on one hand. On the other hand, when I did play, I probably didn't make the most of those opportunities. Um, but it is always nice to know that you've got a little bit more than one or two matches um, to play. Um, so that was quite frustrating from a national point of view. Yeah, 23 matches is more than one or two, but um, South Africa did have a very very strong batting side in those days. Uh, you must have been disappointed never to have played a test match. Yeah, I think, by, um, you know, when I say one or two, as well, it was like almost one or two, and then you had the, then I'd have a, you know, then you'd get left out, and then you'd then you'd play one or two again in five months' time or whatever. Um, so it was never like an extended run of six or seven games in a row, and. I really think that I probably got picked a bit early. I, I felt I was when I went to England, so I was 29. Um, so I got picked at 25, 26, um, yeah, 24. And I reckon at 29, probably the cricket or definitely the best cricket of my um, career and for the next five or six years. Uh, and that that's where I think Australia were good in that sense where your young Matthew Haydens and, um, you know, there are a few examples where they came in early and then they didn't really shoot the lights out and then they went back and scored tons of runs in county cricket and state cricket and then they got reselected again. Mm. Uh, we okay. sort of, once you've had a go and you haven't made it, they just sort of brush you off. Um, so from a test point of view, I can, um, I can understand it at the time when I was in the national side, but I would have, uh, I thought I could have made a contribution if they had picked me again, I would say I was in, in a better place to play test cricket at about 29 onwards. Then in 2005, you moved to Durham and came to England. Why Durham? Um, I was playing, I played a lot of club cricket in that in England and I had a, small young family and uh, had been left out again with from South Africa and I think the whole um, you know the quota system started coming in and I just felt that the way South Africa works is they're looking for the new young up-and-coming cricketer so I thought I'm still playing great cricket I love playing cricket in England so let me try and you know apply my trade over there um, I went for a few trials. I'd spoken to Leicestershire and they had sort of mentioned that they were interested. And then the working for said, no, Durham are very, they've changed the chairman. They've got a decent coach. They've got some good young uh, local players and they're looking to, uh, you know, to lift their game a bit. Um, so they've got a, a five-year policy where, and he thought it's not a bad place to go, and um, because they they really are, um, you know, they're, they're moving in the right direction. So I went for one again. I went for a trial game, having 
played 100 first-class games. I played a second-team game for Durham. Um, Jeff Cook was there, who was a stalwart at, at Durham North Ends. And I uh, played against Yorkshire. I made 100 in the game. It got rained off, I think, the last day, and they offered me a contract. So it's pretty much hard, hard work. Um, we weren't sure at the time whether I was still able to play cricket in South Africa. There was all this coal pack issue. We then finally worked out that I could get a, I was eligible for a British passport. So I got that in two or three weeks. And then uh, everyone thinks I played as a coal pack, but I actually was a local. <laughs> I played with a British passport, yeah. Well, you made an immediate impact there. I mean, they made, got promotion from Division 2 in the first year, in 2005. And then in 2006, you became captain. And in 2007, runners-up in the county championship, and you won the Friends Providence at Lords. This is the old NatWest Gillette Cup C&G trophy. And then you were champions, champions, county champions in 2008. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I can tell you that. Um, we... We just gelled as a team. Uh, we started off with Martin Moxon as our coach, who I think had put in a lot of work with a lot of young uh, youngsters at Durham. Uh, and then they blended those youngsters with some some really good pros. Uh, you know, it's made some brilliant signings with Mark Hussey, um, and then some not such big names, but that had a big impact on the club. Guys like Callum Thorpe. Uh, Gareth Breeze, um, and obviously myself included in, in that sort of group. We had this, uh, and, and then you had your your young guys, that are, uh, Durham players that were now pushing for, for England. So your Harmisons and Collingwoods and Plunkets and Onions. And so there was just a, the ingredients was all there with the, with the experience, with the youth, um, an experienced coach and Jeff. That sort of put it all together, and a club I think that was ambitious. You know, we had a chairman that wanted to win, um, and like I said, we we played, we really enjoyed the game, we enjoyed each other's company. Uh, being successful, I think, helps with that as well. Uh, and as a, yeah, it was just a great couple of years, probably well the most enjoyable cricket years that I had. Uh, we had a similar environment in, in Durban as well, so with the Dolphins. So, yeah, I, I would say I was lucky. I played all my cricket with a lot of people that enjoyed it, had fun, and that were actually very good cricketers. So, yeah, it was a great, great time. We were champions again in 2009 and 2013. And you also, a linchpin of the side, you got a 1,000 runs five times. Um. What, how different was it playing for Durham in the county championship from playing for Natal and the Dolphins in South Africa? Uh, the, the difference is definitely volume. Um, so you're, you know, we only played 10 games in South Africa. You played 10 one-day games. T20 cricket was only just coming in. Uh, so the, the, uh, the cricket that you played in South Africa was, was ferocious in a way. It was played very hard. And you had a lot of time to prepare, so it wasn't as strenuous from a match point of view, but it was was pretty tough cricket um, and, a, and a very good standard. Uh, county cricket was just 
uh, you just you're either playing or traveling or having a bit of a net nearly every day of the week. So it was more of a, you know, the it was it was volume of cricket that uh, that put, took its toll and on you mentally. Yeah, county cricket for me was just it was the uh, physically and mentally the volume of cricket uh, would take would take its toll as opposed to South Africa. South Africa was. Um, uh, very aggressive, oh. yeah. So it's a, you know it's a lot more aggressive and a lot more in your face, and and were, and the training was very hard and all of that stuff because there was enough time to do that to prepare for each game. Um, uh, your preseason was almost really important for county cricket, and it was managing yourself to make sure September you still had some petrol in the tank to still play in finals and win big games and. Uh, so it was just, you know, there's just a lot more cricket, um, and and the standard was, I think that first division we we were at the beginning of of the two divisions, and by the end, you know, the first division I felt was was incredibly good standard of cricket, um, in, in England as well. Really stopped playing because of a shoulder injury to go into coaching, or do you think you'd have carried on? I had a I had a year or two left, and I think that, uh, it was a bit of that, and you know I was at the end of the day I was it was either one year or two more years left. I'd I'd given it a pretty long run. Um, I think I was 39, uh, and having played since 18, I did feel I'd given it um, you know everything that I had. Uh, I probably had a year or so left, which I suppose every cricketer thinks they do, um, and just the opportunity of coaching came up. Uh, so I had a pretty disappointing um, time with uh, Durham as well. I was sort of due a, a um, I was due for for a benefit year. Um, there was on the table a coaching opportunity when I finished, and um, Jeff Cook actually got. He fell down. He had a heart attack, and he—it was—he was the director of cricket. Uh, we didn't have a director of cricket, so he was coach, director of cricket. Basically, ran ran it with the senior players and obviously the chairman and the CEO. Uh, when he um, uh, had his, you know, he had a heart attack, and it looked like he actually, you know, it was really bad, and that he wouldn't make it. Some of the other senior players sort of stepped in and changed things around and things changed and I really didn't like that so it was a combination of I was at the end of my career 100% Durham had given an amazing time um, to to be in, involved with them uh, and to you know to to do what I did um, yeah so I um, I then had an opportunity to go to Hampshire as a coach and I didn't want to more due to if the, those couple of conversations and decisions that were made. Um, and I thought, well, to get a coaching opportunity at a club like Hampshire straight from playing doesn't often happen. You normally have to do your mm. uh, apprenticeships at an academy or whatever. So that the combination of that and coming to the end of my career and not agreeing with a few things that happened at Durham really made me um, made me end my career. Well, you had a two two and a half seasons at Hampshire. You got them to two t two t twenty finals day, got them promotion. But I wanted yeah. to move forward to 
your role as the batting coach at the South African cricket team. That must be a high pressure job um, <laughs> facing the the media. I've seen a few clips on the on the laptop here. A little bit different from from speaking to me when you've um, <laughs> uh, been bowled out by Sri Lanka for uh, 73, I think it was, and also um, you were. You must have been there in the Sandpaper Gate series as well. Yeah, I love my time. Um, again, there was a Durham connection. So if it wasn't for uh, Otis Gibson, I wouldn't have been there. We, we had obviously played together and, and know, known each other through uh, the West Indies, um, through South African cricket and through Durham. Um, and, you know, that was a real uh, privilege and uh, you know I really appreciated him wanting me to be there uh, as part of his team um, and yeah we had you know when you go into international cricket that it's going to be that it's going to be tough you know whether you're a player whether you're a coach um, uh, the pressures are just so much bigger the you know the microscope is on everything that uh, is on you everything that you do uh, and you have to take responsibility for that, whether you do well or whether you, generally when you don't do well. Um, and yeah, I, it wasn't a surprise. Uh, it was just disappointing at times when you put in a lot of work and then you don't get uh, the rewards as a as a team. Um, but that's sport. Yeah. Uh, just to uh, clear a few things up, um, you did have test victories at home against India, Pakistan and australia so it wasn't all bad when you were a batting coach uh, no. so but as a batting coach what do you think of the quota system in south africa well i think it's not just as a batting coach um look it's a it's a hell of a sensitive um we all we all think that sport should be played and and uh, and represented on merit um our country hasn't had a straightforward history so um the you know the the quota system i think has definitely played a positive role in getting uh cricket noticed in a bigger uh you know a larger uh, group of people in south africa uh we've seen even now player in the, in the whole country one of the best players in the world is um, a black African, South African, uh, in Keiji Rabada. So, um, you know, there's definitely merit. I think there's also frustration, I think, for players that perform and then don't get picked because uh, we have to fulfill a quota. I think that's very hard to deal with. And it does create issues amongst players, amongst um, uh, coaching staff. Um, but I think we handled it pretty well. I think Otis, specifically in my role when we were over there, I think the whole management handled the, you know, our situation incredibly well. There's huge respect uh, in that team that we uh, that I was involved with. There's huge respect for each other, and I thought we had some incredibly good players. Um, from a specifically batting point of view. Uh, I don't know the reasons why I'm not part of the whole development program, but you know we are short on um, on not talented, but on uh, exceptional 
players. So now you have to try and balance a team. And we've got some very good fast bowlers. We've got Timber Bavuma, who I think is a you know an international class batsman. And there's a few youngsters that are coming through. Uh, enough, you know, if Timber gets injured, then a bowler has to now fall out uh, because we're trying to now get our numbers right. So it, it messes up the balance of a team. And I think when you're playing international cricket, where everyone knows the you know the margins are so small, um, I do think it. At times, it, it is a slight disadvantage to us. But I do understand that it's trying to uh, rectify a far bigger picture than, than maybe just that one test match that we're playing. Well, long term, hopefully you'll reap the benefits there. Um, now, your final assignment, though, was the, the World Cup in 2019, where South Africa came seventh and winning three games. Reflecting yeah. back, how do you think the team performed in that competition? No, we were poor. Um, uh, it, it sort of went back uh, to, I would say, our preparation. And I think a lot of the frustrations that we had as a, as a management group are coming out in the, uh, in the press now um, as to who we were dealing with and from a management point of view. Uh, a lot of teams, I mean, Otis and I both, played in England, we, we knew England very well, a lot of the players have played in England and we would have liked to have been in England, you know two weeks before uh, warm-up matches and that started we were told there's not enough money can't prepare there um, we try to get or we had a mandate to get our players then out of um, the RPL uh, two weeks before we were leaving for England so that they would be fresh and part of our preparation. That mandate or that piece of paper never got to the RPL. So we had three or four of our key players, including the captain, that uh, were playing RPL the night before we, we got together as a team uh, for like two days preparation before we flew. So our, our build-up to the World Cup was... Uh, I think our you still believe you're going to win and you still you know you have to try and believe that you got the players but when you look back and the feeling that feelings that you did have or my feelings before was that you know we we weren't prepared properly um, the our, our strength has always been our fast bowlers Heinrich Nakia got injured Robada had just come off six weeks of the RPL um, Lungi and Giri had also was coming back from an injury and you know that that real spearhead that we had wasn't wasn't there um as well as well as our obviously our batting uh, didn't fire and i just think we you know when you're in a tournament like that as i said the margins are tiny and you slightly off your game and other teams are playing above themselves or at their level the gap starts to become massive so it was a disappointing world cup um you got to take responsibility for that Another issue which you know was a was a was a, was very disappointing for me was Ab de Villiers not being in our team. Um, probably the best one of the best batters in the world at the time. You would want him to be in your setup. You know? um, so there were a lot of things that could have been better. But at the bottom line was the you know the 14, 15 guys that went there. You know we didn't perform and it was it was disappointing from a 
from a results point of view, but from a coaching point of view, you know, unbelievable. My first World Cup as being part of a coaching unit, incredibly tough. You know, tough watching your sides lose to um, teams that you should beat, um, seeing guys really just, you know, they were trying. I don't think there was a lack of effort, but we just weren't there, and it was hell of a tough. The one great thing about it is there was no issues in the team. You know, you never saw one, yes, we played badly, we were getting hammered in the press, but the captain never ran away, there was no fighting, there was no issues with senior players. The team was actually, you know, got through a hell of a tough period incredibly well, and I was pretty proud of that. Um, even though it's not a consolation, people want to see results in that, but you always, as a, as a, as a coach, you try, your one job is to create a really healthy and strong environment. And I think, although we didn't have the skills and we didn't play on the field, I still think that environment was, we were able to keep it really strong through probably one of the toughest times I've ever had in sport you know, over that World Cup. Well, that's obviously a very important ingredient in a team. And even though you would say you came seventh winning only three games, um, looking at the table even now, um, a couple of close games you narrowly lost to New Zealand you could have won five games and five games got one team into the semi-final and actually that team yep. were in the final so uh, it, exactly. it it's fine margins again in all sport yep. now what does the future hold for for Dale Benkenstein <laughs> um I I coach at a school um Hilton College and uh, I love my job here I've got four children so School at the moment is is a pretty high on the agenda in our family. Um, so I have a, a well-balanced life at the moment. I did have a, a three-month contract to coach in um, at Lancashire, uh, but obviously with COVID that that fell fell away. And that's the sort of balance that I would like. Uh, the current job that I've got, I really enjoy. Um, but to do some... Uh, contract sort of work in in England um, or somewhere else around the world for two or three months during our winter period uh, uh, it excites me it keeps me relevant with with professional cricket and yeah that that's sort of my short-term future uh, plans at the moment yeah. you don't fancy a, a franchise job in the IPL then earning loads of money no I think anyone would it fits into my schedule as well but they, you know, those are for, it seems to be uh, quite a close-knit family if you've played in the RPL. I've never, I never played in the RPL. I played in the ICL, which was just before that. And, you know, I'm not a big name. I'm, I'm not a big international. And that is the, the biggest stage on, in world cricket at the moment, I feel. And so they, you know, they're looking for those sort of um, uh, figures. Uh, I would love to be involved there, as I said, most coaches would. And if I do get the opportunity, I would, I would obviously jump at it. Yeah. Well, you're certainly very well known in county circles here. One of the previous guests I had on the programme, Bill Hearn, he's just written a fabulous book about football's black pioneers. And he's mm -hmm. a, a Durham member. And when I emailed him the other day to say that Dale was going to be on the paddock and the pavilion, he called you a legend, so uh, <laughs> I thought I've got to get his name in here. So, uh, but thank you well, thank very you much. Very much. For, thank you very much for being on the paddock and the pavilion.
and and look I'm now looking forward to watching the T20 and one day international series against South Africa in the next uh, couple of weeks. Uh, thank you very much, Steve. It's nice to reminisce again. Um, and uh, yeah, it'll be nice to see some cricket on South African soil again as well. Well, thank you very much for joining me. Cheers. I would like to give special thanks to Margot Webley for her PR work and voiceovers on the Paddock and the Pavilion. Thank you for listening to the Paddock and the Pavilion. You can download the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Pad and Pad. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.